Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Islamophonic. I'm back from my holiday, browner than ever and full of energy and optimism. In this week's show, we look at Muslim writers and literary culture. We have some halal chat from the Guardian-sponsored Hay Festival. And joining me in the studio is Robert McCrum, literary editor of our sister paper, The Observer, and Imran Ahmed, a first-time author. Hello. Hello there. Hello. Um, how come you're not in Hay? Didn't you get invited or something? For me? Yeah, Probably both of you. a little early in my career cycle. Robert, I would have thought well, you'd be a stalwart of these things. Well, yeah, but I, I've been before, and this weekend I was actually in bed, so I couldn't go. Okay. <laughs> um, now, Hay is one of the biggest events in the cultural calendar. It's where the British literati descend on the little Welsh village for about 10 days. It normally has 2,000 inhabitants, but during the festival, the population explodes to about 80,000, and 70,000 of those coming from The Guardian alone. The man who's been in my hot seat for the last fortnight, Safraz Manzor, is in Hay, and I caught up with him earlier. Hi, Safraz. Hi, how are you? All right, how's Hay? Is it wet? It, it was absolutely pelting it down yesterday and the day before, but there are traces of a blue sky. Now, tell me about Hay. I mean, can you really spend 10 days talking about books? I can't think of anything more exciting. Yeah, there's a, there's a tinge of sarcasm in your voice. It's actually fantastically interesting. Firstly, it's not just books. There's theatre, there's music, there's comedians, there's films. So there's loads of other things as well. And the other thing is you've just got to think about the people who are here. There are so many big names. It's that this quiet little sleepy town most of the year on the border between England and Wales. And then suddenly at the end of May, you get, you know, you get Gordon Brown, you get William Hague, you get Richard Dawkins, you get, um, uh, you get Peter Falk, for God's sake. Columbo is here. So Really? <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. So there are so many big names in politics, in literature. The 10 days can go quite quickly, actually. So you're not the only brown person there? Um, there's a few, but I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, a wh- mostly overwhelmingly white. And to be honest, mostly overwhelmingly a little bit older as well. But, but the things that they're talking about are the things that you expect them to be talking mm. about. There was a big debate that the New Statesman did, actually, called Is Islam Compatible with Democracy? Which is obviously something that quite a lot of people have been chewing around. Mm. Tarek Ramadan is talking about Muslim identity. Yeah. Uh, Mohsen Hamid's book is called uh, you know, The Reluctant Fundamentalist. It's also Can kind we of talk about, about the reluctant fundamentalist? Islam. Have yeah. you managed to speak to him at all? Yeah, no, I interviewed him. And when I talked to him, I did try and find out a little bit about why um, he turned up at festivals like Hay, considering the audience isn't going to be necessarily that obviously interested in his work. You've done quite a lot of book events and book festivals around the world. How does Hay compare to some of the other ones that you've been at? Well, it, it feels much more like a festival than most festivals. Literary writing is like a very minor version of being a rock star, and hey, it's sort of like a minor version of, I think, a, a good rock festival. And Bill Clinton described it Woodstock of the mind. Exactly, yes, which means obviously much smaller than Woodstock. In terms of the kind of questions and response you've had whilst you've been here, frankly, it's quite a white audience, isn't it? And did you think that some of the things that you were talking about, did you, did you feel that they were resonating with the audience? Well, it's interesting because here we wound up talking much more about form and, and the role of the novelist and literature. And I think maybe it's part of being on a panel of three, but much less about the politics of, of the book itself. Um, in America, oddly enough, uh, the politics came up more, but I found the reception to be quite positive and engaged, whereas I went there very frightened about what kind of reception I would receive. And there's also, I think, a different attitude towards you know, cultures outside of America in a way. In, in Britain, there still tends to be, I think, more of a ghetto mentality. So, you know, a few people be anointed to sort of play in the mainstream, but everybody else plays on their little literary island, wherever it happens to be. 
Um, America is less like that. So even though you may be more censored in America, um, what you are said is treated much less as being sort of an exotic, funny thing from the side. Why do you think there aren't more non-white faces, both on stage and in the audience? Um, I think partly what winds up happening in, in British literary culture is there's a search for authenticity, and that search for authenticity often leads to false authentics in a way. So what you wind up having is people looking for something that they're not. And I think, you know, at the moment, there are plenty of, of brown-faced writers who are writing about experiences that are fundamentally human and therefore are shared by white people um, who need to be read in that way. And I think there is a shift happening, but it's, it's, it's been very slow to happen in Britain. And I know you can't represent all Pakistanis, all Asians, and nobody one can, but why are there not more people turning up to see these people then? Because Kiran Desai is yep. here, Tarek Ramadan is here, you're here. So why aren't there more people who are wanting to hear these voices? Well, you know, I think um, the, the, the other part of the challenge is that the anointing of the literary star in Britain is being done um, not primarily by readers. So in the States or in India or in Pakistan, you'll go and you'll meet your fans, so to speak. There may not be very many of them, but that's who comes to your readings. Whereas here you go and meet people who are part of the literary world, which is also wonderful, or people who are interested in books. I think this is very valuable, uh, but I don't... So they're coming because they love books in a way, rather than they love any specific person. Exactly. And, and in many ways, what happens is that the love of the specific person needs to happen sort of reader up as opposed to, you know, publisher down. The Reluctant Fundamentalist is something which explores religion and also explores anti-Americanism and uh, and politics post 9-11. Do you think in your own mind these are subjects which have now been well rehearsed and discussed enough both in fiction and non-fiction or is it a theme that you're still interested in? Um, I think, I don't think that they've necessarily been discussed enough. I mean, for example, in my novel, it, it, discuss, it discusses the issue of um, a ethnic affiliation with religion, but not particularly a spiritual or, or you know, what we'd call really religious aspect of Islam. Quite a lot of people have forgotten that. Though, exactly. And I think for me, in some ways, that idea that, look, we're talking about a political dispute that we're using religious shorthand for, um, but let's not forget that we're not talking about religion at all in any of this stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot left to be written. On the other hand, I think for each novelist, there is a sense of, you know, what is, what is burning on my plate now? What do I want to deal with? And for me, this idea of the American Muslim, um, American Eastern Pakistani American disputes is something I've, I've spent seven years inhabiting. And I want to inhabit something very different next time. What's next? Um, what's next for me is uh, I'm very interested in the, at the moment on, in the notion of, of the relationship between writers and readers. In both of my novels, the reader is sort of called upon to play the role of a character to a certain extent, you know, judge in the first novel and kind of judge in the second and also stand in for the American. Um, a I detective want to, as well. In some exactly. Ways. And a detective. I want to push that notion a bit further next time. Um, and I also very much want to begin to engage with Europe and Britain in fiction, which I haven't done so far. Mohsen Hamid, thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you. Safraz Manzo from Hey, and you can hear more of Safraz in a series of daily podcasts featuring the pick of the festival and some Guardian exclusives. Just visit guardian.co.uk forward slash podcasts. With me in the studio, Imran Ahmed. Imran, you've read The Reluctant Fundamentalist. What did you think of it? I have. Um, I must say that uh, I was actually loitering in Waterstones to see if anyone would pick up my book. 
And I was just uh, <laughs> pretending to read The Reluctant Fundamentalist, which I actually started to read the first few pages. And I actually really enjoyed it uh, as a result of reading. I bought it and um, read it that weekend. I thought it was just very well written and I, I, it, it flowed very fast and I really enjoyed it. A little unhappy with the ending, mm. which I felt left uh, too much to my imagination, but otherwise I really enjoyed it. Robert, what do you think of Mossin's work? I mean, he's won a couple of awards, so he is he something special? I think he is. He's, um, he's, he's definitely uh, authentic. Um, whether he's a journalist, an essayist or a novelist is another question. I mean, this novel has struck me as being a kind of polemic, really, polemical mm. novel where he buttons the reader, he reverts the reader as sir. Um, he himself comes from a fairly elite... I mean, he's at Princeton, yeah. for God's sake, which is um, not exactly the slums of Delhi. His Asian-ness mm. is quite refined and quite exclusive. But he is somebody who's clearly engaging very passionately with the biggesses of our time in a very interesting way. Whether he's a novelist or an essayist, I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, Imran Safros also mentioned that Tariq Ramadan was at Hay. Um, Mr. Ramadan has just written a biography of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. What did you think of that book? I found it very eye-opening. Um, I really enjoyed it. I found it very deep. Um, and I realised reading it just how much my view of the Prophet was actually clouded by Western eyes. Mm. Because, I mean, I grew up in the West and I was educated here and so on. And whenever a Western observer is talking about the prophet, then they're obviously going to be doing it ne neutral to negative, because if they weren't, they'd probably be a Muslim. Um, and I just realised how much of what I thought I knew about the prophet was actually Western, as it were, opinion. Some of it very negative, some, some things which, for example, American preachers have said are just absolutely awful, and you don't know if they're true or not, but you start thinking in your mind about, well, but it was like that in those days, and you're trying to make excuses and so on. But uh, Tariq Ramadan's book really gave me a perspective that was completely different. How extraordinary this man must have been to have achieved what he actually achieved. If you look at it in historical, social terms, what he achieved was absolutely extraordinary. Therefore, he had to be an extraordinary man. Robert, any thoughts? Well, I, 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 <laughs> what, what I can say about the prophet can be written on the back of a postage stamp, so, right, okay. um, my knowledge of it. So I find it absolutely riveting mm. and very embracing of all... I mean, his last line, which I think is a marvellous last line, he talks about loving and learning to love, God, the prophet, the creation and humankind. I mean, nobody could disagree with that. So at the level of inclusiveness, it seems mm. to me that he is very inclusive and he's very liberal in his interpretation. Are we talking about Tariq Ramadan or the Prophet? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I'm not sure. <laughs> Who knows? But Tariq Ramadan seems to me to be... Um, He's very highly regarded highly in Western regarded, circles, very certainly. Very thoughtful, mm. very lucid, mm. and very engaging. I must say, I found it reading really, really well. Robert, earlier you said that you were talking about authentics, and this is something that Mohsin Hamid touched on. He said that the search for authentics sometimes leads to false authentics. What do you make of that comment? I think what happens with, with, a, with a new or a young writer, I mean, Imran might be an example, I don't know, but um, is that the writer has to find his or her voice. Mm. And that voice can be truly personal and profound and your own and have real authenticity. Or it can be some kind of construction mm -hmm. that would be a false authenticity. Right. And um, I think in both of these books, actually, both writers are completely authentic. Imran, you are nodding your head. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for calling me young. Or did you just mean new? Um, yeah, in, in, in my book, for example, Unimagined, A Muslim Boy Meets the West, 
because it's not a novel, it's not fiction, that mm. I basically have to work with what happened to me and right. my life. So in, in that respect, it has to be uh, authentic because I, I, I don't have the luxury of, of fictionalizing any event. But what I found with writing mine was that I just thoroughly enjoyed doing it and I, I definitely did find my voice. But now talking about this business of false authentics, um, we had a problem with some publishers uh, rejecting it, saying that it wasn't miserable enough, mm. that it, not enough miserable things had happened to me. Um, and, and that's what I think, where they're looking for the false authentic, that they wanted more racism in it and, and just more general misery about how horrible it is growing up brown in this country. And whilst there is racism in the book, um, because, of course, that's, that was real, mm. I, I can't say that it totally ruined my life and, and, and shaped who I am today significantly. Robert, do you accept Martin's analysis of British literary culture when he starts talking about the anointing of stars and having a ghetto mentality? I don't think that's. I do. I actually, I, I was listening, listening to that. I thought it was uh, it was wrong about that. I, I think people. I don't think um, stars are, are anointed. I think they emerge through a complex dialogue between the reader, the critics, and the, and the public. In my recent experience, the only person who I would say has been anointed in any obvious way mm. was Zadie Smith, yes, who was indeed anointed. But you know, she's, first of all, she's very good. And she was touted very heavily, actually, mm. in, first of all, in America. But she wouldn't have been anointed if, if the readers hadn't gone for her. And I think the, the fact is that the books have to make their own way. Now, some of you listening may have thought about writing a book, but are you worried it may end up like this? The end. OK, I'm off to see my publishers. Hi, take a seat. I've only got two minutes. Sorry, what's your name again? It's Riazat. Interesting name, really exotic. Where are you from? Southampton. No, really, where are you from? Oh, oh, right, OK. Uh, well, my parents are from Pakistan, Azad Kashmir, in fact. Kashmir, disputed territory claimed by both India and Pakistan. Difficult name, hard to spell, but you're not willing to compromise. And you come with a legacy of struggle and oppression. I like that. Now, tell me about your book. It's about a woman. Muslim. Yes, she is Muslim, but her religion isn't important because... She's turned her back on Islam. Well, no, no, she... Turned her back on Islam when she saw the Twin Towers crumbling to the the ground on 9-11. Her sense of identity was shattered when she saw the devastation of 7-7. Great. We never hear about the female perspective. It's nothing to do with terrorism. Oh, Jews. so she was forced into an arranged marriage. Islam was used an excuse to chloroform her, send her to Pakistan and marry her off to an 86-year-old goat herder against her will. Actually, you know what? She's very happily married to a man of her own choosing. She's she a rebel. Forced to wear a veil at the age of nine, she ran away from home and she shacked up with a wife guy, mm. cast out by her community and cut off from her family because she married a man she loved. Since you ask, she met this guy at her local mosque in very respectable circumstances. Her family always approved of the match and there was never any conflict or rebellion. Hmm. Nor is she subjugated or stupid. My heroine is clever, funny, gorgeous and captivating. She's nothing like Muslim women are portrayed in the mass media. I mean, she totally bucks the trend. I mean, she's a farmer, for God's sake. She's a farmer? Yeah, she's a farmer. She so she has access to fertiliser? Farmers generally have access to fertiliser. Enough to make a bomb? What? No, no, not to make a bomb. No, it's nothing like that. Listen, I'm not sure what you've heard from my agent, but my, my book has got none of those clichés in it. I mean, there's no domestic violence, there's no honour killing, radicalisation, disenfranchisement, 
terrorism or brainwashing. The people in my book are normal and well-adjusted Muslims. My they dear, let me stop you there. We don't do normal. Look, you seem like a really nice gal. Lose the weight and the facial hair and you could be the next Zadie Smith. But your work doesn't sound authentic enough. I mean, where's the alienation, the identity crisis? I want to hear about your world. Imran, did that ring any bells with you? Um, somewhat. I, I, I was laughing all through. It was, it was hilarious. Um, certainly, as I said earlier, some publishers felt that the book was not miserable enough, didn't have enough racism in mm. demonstrating how miserable my life must have been, and, and I just didn't want to go in, in that direction. Um, but also getting published as well, if we're going to get onto that subject, is, is an enormously difficult path, and uh, uh, I could certainly sympathise with the, the character there. Robert, how many variations can we have on the same theme of an ethnic minority growing up in the West? Well, any number, actually. I mean, I mean there's, there are all kinds. I'm sure Imran is just one. I mean, I'm sure there have been many, many versions of that expressed by different people. Um, can, can I just, on hmm. that point, would you ever say how many versions of a white man growing up in white society could there be? Or, you know... Because of course you never people don't think like that. Mm. Uh, and also the themes, are, yeah. the themes of love and, and and you know hopes and dreams and all the old themes. Robert and Imran, can we have some do's and don'ts of publishing for aspiring writers? Imran, would you like to give us some first-hand tips? This is based on okay my first-hand experience. The advice which I heard from many people, um, I believe it to be absolutely right get yourself an agent mm. uh, it is virtually impossible it's not unheard of but it's virtually impossible to get your manuscript accepted enthusiastically <coughs> by a publisher um, unless you have engaged an agent because the agents act as a sort of filter within the industry they do the pre-work filtering out what might have some potential and what won't uh, and they've got to see pound signs when they when they see your manuscript um, so get yourself an agent is the primary piece of advice Robert I think that's very important. I think I was going to say write for yourself, write for nobody else. Mm. Write to please yourself, mm -hmm. and then you'll please other people. But another point, my second point was, was yeah. actually, maybe it should have been my first point, is to enjoy what you write and mm. to believe in it. You have to actually believe yeah, in the, what you're that's, writing. That's the authenticity, isn't it? Yeah. If you believe in it, it'll be fine. Can we have some don'ts? Don't. Um, <laughs> don't. I would say don't sell your book till you've finished it. I absolutely agree with that one, yes. I had that same discussion with an established writer and uh, she was uh, saying to me, oh, she was under a lot of pressure because she had to finish her next book. And I said to her, writing a book first and then selling it, that's fun. Selling a book first and then writing it, that's work. Don't, don't give up. Thanks to Robert McCrum and Imran Ahmed for coming into our studio. Thanks also to our hair bear in Hay, Safraz Manzor. That was Islamophonic. It was produced by Matt Haywood and presented by me, Riaz Atbat. Next week, we're putting down the books and pulling on the gloves for a boxing special. Jazakallah for listening and until next week, wa alaikum as -salam.